Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. New in theaters this week, a movie that I'm hoping will prove to be more than meets the eye. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. It's another big week for Arnold on Netflix. I'll review a new documentary about it. And I got to tell you, I wasn't really productive this week on the Couch Potatoes front because rather than watching new things, I've just been rewatching one of my faves. And it turns out to be one of the best decisions I've made in years. So let's start at the movies. Another week, another big blockbuster. The summer movie season is truly back. And this one, I am excited, but skeptical. Your world will die. Optimus Prime. Of all the threats. You've never faced anything like this. We're not gonna win this fight. Let them come. Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Unicron is coming. Transformers Rise of the Beasts. This is the seventh live-action Transformers movie. Most of them are bad and more bad. The Transformers, giant robots from the planet Cybertron, and they transform into things. The Autobots are the good guys, Decepticons are the bad guys. But things are a little bit different in this new one, and we'll get to that in a moment. Of course, the Transformers were born in the 80s. Toys, cartoon, comic books, eventually an animated movie where they killed off all the characters to introduce new ones and hopefully boost toy sales. Like, they killed Optimus Prime! <laughs> that was ridiculous. Remember that? I don't remember that, but uh, it doesn't surprise me. It's uh, when art meets commerce, but this is just everything based on commerce. Yeah. All decisions. And I, I if memories, I'd have to actually go back into the history, but I, I'm pretty sure they ended up bringing all the original characters back because there was... Not a boycott, but the new toys didn't take. And I, I think they underestimated how important Optimus Prime was they to so many people. Too good a job at the at the outset uh, with the first line of toys. They, they did too good a job where we love them so much that, yeah. like you said, uh, kids would start crying if they kill off your favorite characters. It's I, like if they killed off you know Fred and Barney just for the Bam Bam and Pebbles <laughs> show or something like that. I certainly cried when that movie came out in, what was it, 86? So quick history lesson on the live action movies. First one came out in 2007. Second one in 2009. That one called Revenge of the Fallen. Third one in 2011 called Dark of the Moon. Fourth one in 2014, The Age of Extinction. And the fifth one in 2017, The Last Night, spelled K-N-I-G-H-T, because there's a tie-in to the Knights of the Round Table or something. I don't know. The first movie was fun. It wasn't excellent, but it was fun. And it was cool to see live-action Transformers. The second one is not good. The third one, I think, is a little better than the second, but still not good. The fourth one is bad. The fifth one is awful. All of those five were directed by Michael Bay. Big, loud, explodey, lots of stupid juvenile humor. It was absolute bayhem at its primest. And then in 2018... Something unexpected happened. Not just a good Transformers movie, but a great one, Bumblebee. It was both a prequel, because they maintained certain connections to the first five movies, 
but it was also a, a reboot that kind of resets the timeline. And I am thankful for that because those first five movies, they keep changing the story, like the history of the Transformers. Every movie kind of rewrites their past a little bit. And by the fifth one, it was just total nonsense. So the sixth one, Bumblebee, Kept it simple, stuck to the original story that we knew from the 80s. You know, we actually got to see Cybertron and the Transformers looked better than ever and more closely resembled what we knew as kids. They simplified the designs and the cumbersome transforming process. Like, it was glorious and it got great reviews. 91% easily smashing the first five. And sidebar, I know, I think in the last night we we sort of see Cybertron, but that's not the Cybertron we knew when we were kids. The one in Bumblebee is the one we knew. But here we go. The reviews are in for this new one, Rise of the Beasts. Some critics loved it and say it's the best one yet, but at last check, it's at 55% on Rotten Tomatoes, so not horrible, but not great. Now, Bumblebee was set in the 80s. This movie is set in the 90s and will introduce the Maximals, Predacons and Terrorcons from the popular Beast Wars cartoon from the 90s, I got, which I got to admit, I, I was I, that, I moved out of my, I'd rolled out of my cartoon phase uh, by that point, but I wish I had watched it. There was talk of a sixth Transformers movie in the Michael Bay timeline, and the end of the fifth movie certainly indicated that another one had to happen and introduced the almighty Unicron, a planet-sized Transformer who eats other planets. Remember him from the cartoon movie? You underestimate me, Galvatron. For a time, I considered sparing a wretched little planet Cybertron. But now, we shall witness its dismemberment. Voiced by Orson Welles, by the way, the legendary Orson Welles, his final role. Uh, that sixth Bay movie never happened. And the way they introduced or hinted at Unicron in that fifth one, like they, they sort of indicated that he lived inside planet earth or something. I don't know. It was weird and stupid and awful. And I hated it <laughs> in this one. As you heard in the clip, Unicron is coming. I'm curious to see how that unfolds uh, because the fleeting glimpses we get of him in the trailers are pretty cool. And it looks rather faithful to what we saw in that original movie. Michael Bay, by the way, is not the director. This time it's Stephen Capel jr. Who directed Creed two. The voice cast includes Ron Perlman as Optimus Primal, Peter Dinklage as Scourge, Michelle Yeoh as Air Razor, Pete Davidson as Mirage, and once again, Peter Cullen is back with his legendary voice as Optimus Prime. And if you need a reminder on what that sounds like... Autobots, transform and roll out! So I've got my fingers crossed that Rise of the Beasts will still be fun. And the runtime, two hours and seven minutes. Whoa! So that's not bad. That's basically a short film by today's standards. <laughs> yeah, that's right. How many of these Transformers movies have you seen? I've seen just the first two, uh, Revenge of the Fallen. I, was, I hated that movie so much I just refused to watch any more after that, although I think I've seen Revenge of the Fallen like three times. That's, he goes to college in that one, right? That's the one? I think so, yeah, yeah. I think so. I don't know why I've seen it so much. And I've seen the first one a couple of times. And I didn't really like the first one right from the get-go. It just... The convoluted transformation process, that 
it gave me a headache watching that all the way through. And then I couldn't tell where their faces were. I was like, what? what's going on? What's going? And then they'd finally do a close-up of their face, and their mouths would move like humans. And I'd be like, well, how's that work? Because they're made out of metal. <laughs> so I, I was just like nitpicking every little thing because – and usually I find if you're nitpicking something that just – it's obviously not winning you over. So, no, I, I – tapped out after the first two. I can't imagine I'll ever get around to seeing uh, Rise of the Beasts. Yeah, the transformation process in those original movies, I, I sort of understand and even appreciate why they were so complicated because they wanted it. Because in the cartoon, you could make it as easy as possible, right? Yeah. Like It's just like one, two, three, and you, uh, suddenly a truck is a giant robot. But they wanted to actually, like, they got into the engineering and thought, okay, if this actually could happen... What would it look like? How would it happen? Yeah. But the result was so complicated and so it must have been an absolute nightmare for the VFX team to animate that stuff. I would assume there's computer artists that still have nightmares about working on Transformers movie. How could you not? Yeah. So the uh, but they, they, no, to be fair, they still it's still complicated, but it, it it has been simplified, and I do think they they look a little bit better. Um, by the way, if you want to watch. Uh, Transformers. I mean, I don't have Netflix, and or it's not on Netflix or Prime or anything. It should be on Prime. The old movies or the old cartoons? The, the, the movies. Oh, they're not on anywhere, eh? Not that I can find. Mm. I mean, maybe Paramount Plus, I guess. But uh, yeah, oh, they, yeah, some of them used to be on Netflix. But yeah, like even uh, there's a question here: Why isn't tr- uh, Paramount or Transformers on Paramount Plus? But uh, oh, it looks like the they did add. Uh, uh, the Transformers movies there. Okay. I, I'm not up to snuff on the Paramount because I don't have it. So, But maybe one day I'll have to get that. So that's new in theaters. And up next, we want to tell you about what appears to be a pretty cool documentary on Netflix. And a little bit later, we got to tell you about uh, a fourth movie in a franchise. I didn't even know it was coming until the trailer debuted. <laughs> I got kind of caught off guard today. You were listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and last week we talked about the new Arnold Schwarzenegger series on Netflix, FUBAR, and this week there's another new Netflix show about him. It's a documentary series called Arnold. I sold myself on that stage. Ladies and gentlemen, Arnold Schwarzenegger! Thousands of people screaming, Arnold, Arnold, Arnold. And when you visualize something very clearly, you believe that you... 100% can get there. There was a lot of things they had to learn. Obstacles that they had to overcome. You can get an injury, then all the athletic stuff is over. But the only thing that no one can take from you is your mind. Arnold Schwarzenegger terminated his box office competition. I was looking for another challenge. Politics. Let's get to work. Arnold is a three-part documentary series, each episode about an hour long, and it's broken down into three distinct parts, sort of like his life, athlete, actor, American. Athlete's an episode all about his childhood, and then, of course, his first profession as a grown-up, which was as a world-class bodybuilder. Actor is an episode, as you would expect, that covers his Hollywood career, and American is an episode about his governorship for the state of California and everything that's happened since, including his divorce and the revelation that he had a kid with his maid. The series is hosted by 
Arnold Schwarzenegger himself. He's sitting in his Sun Valley, Idaho estate, smoking cigars and telling his life stories. So it's the kind of documentary where the subject is the host, and you know you're getting his side of things, but it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's not some politician or controversial figure where you'd be looking for journalistic integrity from the filmmakers. If you're the type of person who gets prickly about that sort of thing, this probably isn't for you. And to Arnold's credit, he's not afraid to tackle the parts of his life that he regrets. He talks about the secret son and how he's sorry he ruined his marriage. He talks about some of the allegations made against him while he was running for governor, and he talks about his complicated relationships with his father and his brother. So while it is an Arnold production, it's not some whitewash of his life where all he did was win, but i got to say, he did win a lot. I don't think I've ever fully appreciated what Arnold Schwarzenegger has conquered in his life. He's one of those people who is just incredibly driven, uh, people who visualize their goals and stop at nothing to reach them. He's also pretty gracious. Uh, don't call him a self-made man. He won't put up with that. He, he'll be the first to say that he had a lot of help along the way in kind of every aspect of his life. Interestingly enough, when I saw the episode titles, Athlete, Actor, and American, I was, uh, you know, most excited to watch the Actor episode, knowing that would be about his movies, but it's actually probably the least compelling of the three, maybe because even as a casual fan, uh, I just you just know more about that part of his life than the rest of his life. It's still very good, though. The first episode, though, I thought was just fascinating. His childhood in Austria was difficult. His dad was tough on him and his brother. And he goes into great detail about how hungry he was to get out of his small little village and see the world and how the bodybuilding was his ticket to do just that. And what he did was amazing. He won more than a dozen world titles of one sort or another over uh, in his 20s. And he only ended up quitting because he just got bored of winning. And the same thing was true of his acting uh, career to some degree. He conquered Hollywood and says by the end of the 90s, all his movies kind of felt like the same thing over and over again. So it was time to find something else. And that, of course, ended up being politics and he was the right guy in the right place at the right time to make a run for governor in California and although his governorship did get off to a rocky start he ended up having a pretty good seven-year run so to see all these accomplishments presented one after another in what is essentially a three-hour documentary uh, makes for a pretty impressive portrayal of the man and he had fun while he was doing it too he makes a point of saying that whatever you're doing try to have fun but like I said he also doesn't shy away too much from talking about his missteps and his failures professionally and personally Um, um, I would also say a big factor for me in the entertainment value of this series is just listening to him talk. Uh, I, last week I was making fun of his line readings in FUBAR, but when he's just talking and not acting, it is kind of a joy to listen to him. I, I love his accent. And then when I was I was done, I watched some YouTube videos of Bill Hader doing impressions of him, which were fun too. Um, I will say he does swear a lot in his casual conversation, which I was not expecting. Usually if they point the camera at you for a documentary and you're just telling your life story, you would keep it a little bit cleaner, but oh well. Again, with his accent, fun to listen to. There are also a ton of little interviews with different people who've been a part of his life. I guess, obviously, the most notable ones would come in the actor episode. There's Danny DeVito and Jamie Lee Curtis, James Cameron, and other Hollywood types. There's a little bit with Sylvester Stallone, but I kind of wish there was more about their rivalry in the 80s. Overall, though, uh, there's just an awful lot 
crammed into three hours. A lot of stuff I never knew about Arnold Schwarzenegger. I found it fascinating, and I highly recommend it. It's called Arnold, and it's available now on Netflix. And how far into FUBAR? I'm still you? stuck on three episodes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and I thought, I might not even end up going back to that, but after watching uh, this documentary, I was like, ooh, now I've got renewed interest in FUBAR, so I probably will tackle a little bit more of that this weekend. All right. I just wanted to quickly follow up on the, if you, if you are interested in watching Transformers, it looks like it's a real mess as to where you can watch them. Now, also keep in mind, this is uh, from the, the U.S., but kind of in, indicative of, of what a sort of a joke this is really. Like the first Transformers is only available to rent on, on places like Prime or YouTube. The second one, Revenge of the Fallen, same thing. You can only rent it. The third one, Dark of the Moon, that one's available to stream on Paramount+. Plus. Age of Extinction, also on Paramount+. Plus, But then the fifth one, The Last Night, that's available for streaming in the States on Hulu. So it would be Disney Plus here, possibly. Yeah, so I'll have to double-check that, I guess. But Bumblebee is uh, on Paramount+. Plus, So it's they're all over the place, and I yeah. don't really understand that because I'm pretty sure they're all Paramount movies. But who knows? Anyway, the only one worth watching really at this point is Bumblebee. And I should just go out and buy that. I've been threatening to do that. I keep, I keep, you know what? I actually, I keep mentioning it on this show because I keep hoping either my dad or my sister are listening and they'll just buy it. Buy it for you? <laughs> for Christmas or my Brett's birthday. Brett's birthday is coming up in this, uh, three months, people. Let's uh, get on it. Um, that was a very not-so-subtle hint at all, was it? Hey, speaking of Stallone... And Schwarzenegger, they have appeared side by side in this franchise a couple of times, so we're going to tell you about another installment that is heading to theaters on my birthday. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes. In a moment, I'm going to tell you which show I have been revisiting. I mentioned that it was one of my faves, and I've had a very enjoyable week as a result of that. But i got to tell you that the first trailer debuted this week for Expendables 4, or as they really annoying trend of the the number four is inserted into the word. So I think it says expend fourables <laughs> kind of like you know, they did with a scream five and six. Yeah, and, yeah. As soon as you said, started your sentence, I, I saw where you're going and I was looking at the word expendables and I was like, Oh, which letter did they put the four into? <laughs> yeah. The D is not where I would have expected it to go. Yeah. I think they put it at the A or <laughs> whatever. Who cares or where the they a. put it? Oh, the a makes um, but uh, the first one came out in 2010. It's a throwback to big macho blow em up action movies like Stallone and Schwarzenegger starred in in the 80s. And now we've got the fourth one. So this one stars Jason Statham, Curtis 50 Cent Jackson, Megan Fox, Dolph Lundgren, Tony Jaw, which is cool, Eco Uwes, which is also cool, Randy Couture, Jacob Scipio, hope I'm saying that name right, Levy Tran, and Andy Garcia, and of course, Sylvester Stallone. Why are you here? I got this situation where I need your help. I need bad friends. Was that the new guy? Is that sniper? Don't worry about it. I got a prescription scope. Oh, guys, remember this face. Don't shoot it by accident. <laughs> Some meta humor there. You see, it's funny because that was 50 Cent talking. And in real life, once upon a time, he was shot in the face. Terrorists have taken possession of nuclear missiles on a cargo ship off the coast. If these babies go off, it'll be World War III. 
To choose this life over friends, over family. It's time to get loud. The movie comes out on September 22nd. Uh, the first three are on Netflix. I have been meaning to revisit these. Maybe now is the time. I don't remember if I ever even saw the third one. I have seen the first two. They were okay. Have you seen any of these? I have not seen any of these, but now, you know, I, I joined you in making fun of them quite a bit back in the day. Yeah. But we also used to, I used to always also make fun of Fast and the Furious. Yeah. And so maybe I should check these out. Maybe they're right up my alley. Jason Statham. There you go. That's You're- up there. I heard, uh, isn't Frazier the bad guy in one of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mel- I mean, the... the, the, the- the star power that these movies have amassed over the years. We mentioned Schwarzenegger's in them. Van Damme was in uh, one of them. Mel Gibson was a bad guy in one. You mentioned Kelsey Grammer. He was in one of these. And they've had uh, Antonio Banderas was in one of them. Uh, like the list goes on and on and on of how many of people who have sort of come and gone. Yeah. Uh, Terry, um, Terry Crews. Terry Crews. Was in a couple of them. Yeah. Did they ever get uh, Steven Seagal in any of these? I should know that off the top of my head. I, I think they might have gotten Steven Seagal. I'm just going to double check that because I. If he showed he, up for a little bit, I would enjoy that. If he's in the whole thing, I would. Don't think I would enjoy that. Um, I'm going to have to double check. I can't remember. I, I got to double check that. But uh, in the meantime, yeah, it is the the fourth one is out on September 22nd. Now, the show that I've been rewatching and. I don't want you to get angry because I know I've been talking about it a lot in recent months, but I went, I started rewatching it because it just ended. Series finale, season three, Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to read, while this third season is fresh, I'm going to go back and revisit the first two seasons because I watched those two seasons back to back when they came out in, uh, or I watched them back to back after the second season wrapped up like a couple of years ago. Uh, so it's been a while. I've only watched them once and, and then that's that. And I, as with every show, you remember the broad strokes, but it's tough to remember the specifics. Like I completely forgot about this scene. I want to play this is about 90 seconds, but one of my favorite scenes from the first season, it's just a simple scene where coach Ted is playing darts. You know, Rupert, Guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. <sighs> Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. You know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to I was 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. 
So yeah, I'm just getting to go back and revisit all of these wonderful moments in this first in the first two seasons and seeing how they connect the dots because I didn't realize how many seeds they were planting in these first couple of seasons that were meant to tie back into the third season, right? Like they, they, you see that this is a show that basically had its roadmap and they weren't sort of figuring it out as they went along. I'm sure they've made modifications. Like, for example, the popular character Roy Kent, played by Brett Goldstein, known for being really gruff, and he all he always he always talks like this, very just a lot of a lot of grunting. But um, in the first season, while he's still grumpy and angry, his voice doesn't start to get more sort of grunty towards the back half of that first season. So I'm not really sure how that morph kind of happened, if it was organic or if they just sort of thought, you know what, that was funny when you when you uh, graveled up your voice. So talk like that the whole time. Oh, I don't yeah. know. That makes sense. But, uh, it, yeah, anyway, I just I love this show so much. Uh, it's 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 a, such a wonderful show in the sense that it it it's a good reminder that one person really can make a difference. This man enters everyone's life and... Everyone was pretty kind of grumpy, kind of miserable. He shows up, fixes everything, and it's amazing. So, yeah, I almost made it through season two. It's funny because the first season is 10 episodes, and then the second season, last night, tried to stay up to finish it. I'm like, okay, I'm almost at the end of episode 10 here. Let's go. And uh, the episode finishes, and then there's two more. Oops. And I think, oh, come on. (laughs) There's two more. I forgot. It's 12 episodes in the third season is 12 episodes as well. By the way, Steven Seagal was not in the first three Expendables, but uh looks like there there was talk once upon a time that he might be in the fourth one as the the antagonist. Oh. But I haven't seen anything He's, I can uh, confirm that. Famously difficult to work with. Yeah. Yeah, and I I have no interest. His his best days are behind him, shall we say? Up next, we got to talk about a movie that <laughs> Every time I look at Netflix's movie charts, uh, not every time, but I often laugh because I think that's number one. Yeah. Like, it's not a bad movie, but why is it number one? Well, because it's new on Netflix, I guess. Jeff's going to tell you what it is. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And one of the more popular offerings on Netflix of late has been a poorly received 2016 sequel to a pretty poorly received 2012 Tom Cruise movie. This week I watched Jack Reacher Never Go Back. Two things are going to happen. First, that phone over there is going to ring. Second, you're going to be wearing these cuffs. (laughs) Just going to keep on ringing. Who the hell are you? Jack Reacher, I need your help. They're killing U.S. soldiers. Men that used to be under your command. It's time to start hunting. Way to go. How's it going? Now, should say up front that Jack Reacher Never Go Back is new to Netflix in the last couple of weeks, which is why it's been in the top 10. Netflix does not have the weekly influx of new material, even new old material that it once had. More streamers, more companies keeping their property instead of farming it out. Harder for Netflix to get some new non-original movies and shows, I guess. But they've been flying with Tom Cruise stuff lately. A bunch of the Mission Impossibles came on a while back. I've seen Oblivion and Edge of Tomorrow on there recently. And of course, now the Reacher movies are there. 
there as well. I watched the first one a few years ago under similar circumstances. Actually better than I was expecting because I'd mostly heard not great things about these movies. Of course, the main complaint had little to do with the storytelling of the movie itself, but just the casting of Tom Cruise as Jack Reacher. It's based on a book series, and Reacher is supposed to be a big, giant man, and Cruise is famously really, really short. But if you didn't know that, you probably wouldn't have a problem with him in this movie. Then last year, we also got that Prime Video series called Reacher, in which the character is played by a big, giant man, Alan Richson, who you can see now in movies like Champions and Fast X. That show had a vibe that the movies actually share pretty close, I thought. Clearly, that vibe's put out in the books. Hard to pin down exactly what it is, but there was a similar feeling to both the movies and the show, I thought. One thing about them that is easy to articulate is that the plot just kind of starts. Reacher's a drifter, an ex-military police officer, and when he blows into town, stuff just starts to happen that he has to get involved in. I remember in the show, he was just trying to have a a piece of peach pie, I think, and uh, he didn't even have time for that before stuff started going down. Anyways, and never go back. He's trying to save his friend, played by Colby Smulders, who's been falsely accused of something bad, something, something, something. I've actually already forgotten a lot of the plot, which would be fine. It would be, which I wouldn't care about if the action were spectacular, uh, but it's not spectacular. It's okay. They fight a lot of bad guys along the way. He also might be the dad of a teenage girl who becomes the target of the bad guys. Not a lot of great stuff there. It's a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's also, I thought, very watchable. It's kind of a good weekend, rainy morning or afternoon kind of movie. I've said it before, movies like this make me want to say it again. I really hope that Tom Cruise at some point takes a break from the action and does some more dramatic movies like he used to because right after I watched Reacher, I also watched A Few Good Men. And that movie has held up really well over 30 years. Tom Cruise in a legal drama. That's what I'm looking for in addition, of course, to the Mission Impossibles, which are his best work. Uh, I'm guessing he's done with Reacher, especially in the wake of the show, which everyone seems to have really enjoyed, especially much more than the movies anyways. But again, even if the Reacher movies aren't stellar, they are still worth a look if you've never seen them before and if you're looking for a kind of a light action kind of a thing you can find them both on netflix if you're looking for tom cruise in a legal th- legal uh, thriller you should check out uh, the firm do you remember that i did i've watched that uh, i think twice in the last three years really yeah do, do you own it nope it's on i think it's on netflix it's on one of them okay yeah i can't uh can't quite tell which one it's on looks like it's on paramount now um but you know what? The Jack Reacher movies, they're okay. I recently, I'm not going to define recently because I can't remember. But <laughs> Sometime I did, between now and when they came out. <laughs> I did in recent months watch the first Jack Reacher. And uh, I can't remember what I watched it on and maybe on Crave at the time. And uh, I liked it. It was okay. I, I think, but I don't know if the word you're looking for is pulpy. Yeah, that works. But I, yeah, because I found the, I find the movies almost have like a pulpy sort of noir yeah. feel to them. But uh, even though I like Alan Richson as Reacher, the big giant man, I, I didn't mind Tom Cruise in this one because it's just a different take yeah. on the character. And the author of the books, and they've, these books have sold millions of copies. But the author of the books, it's one of those things where, where kind of like when Tom Cruise, poor Tom Cruise. Um, What's that? Is that what you're going to do? Yeah. The, vampire the, the authors are never happy with him initially <laughs> uh, because he's because of his stature. But the author, uh, oh, Lee Child. Oh. 
I would point out that after the movies come out, the authors are probably very happy with him because more people are buying their stupid books. So oh, they yeah. owed Tom Cruise a lot. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, Anne Rice did actually do, later do an about face and oh, apologized and said that she watched the movie and she quite enjoyed his interpretation, his adaptation of The Vampire Lestat. But she was not happy when that first came out. And the author, Lee Child, he says, look, Tom Cruise did a great job. He's just, that's not my Jack Reacher. Right. And he was really excited about the big Alan Richson for the television show. And he understands why they ended up casting Tom Cruise because while Reacher has sold a lot of books, the, I ne- I'd never heard of Jack Reacher. Nope, me neither. So, But I do know who Tom Cruise is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that's why they cast him in that. But yeah, they're both, they're both fun. Uh, decent little movies, so you can find those on Netflix. Just wanted to take a quick minute here. To tell you about our friends at Global because it's upfront season. So all the networks in the States and Canada are rolling out their their lineups. So just a couple of highlights here for Global because we've got a modernized take on the Robin Hood legend, uh, gender-swapped Matlock, and a show revolving around a good wife fan favorite. Those are among the highlights of Global's upcoming TV lineup. So the flagship channel for Chorus Entertainment, they reveal the fall and winter schedule uh, partly anchored by updated takes of past hits, including the CBS reboot of legal classic Matlock with Kathy Bates in the titular role. So that's kind of neat. And then the Good Wife spinoff, Elsbeth, starring Carrie Preston. And also on deck is a homegrown series. It's a global original. It's called Robin Hood, and it's spelled R-O-B-Y-N. And it's billed as a contemporary reimagining from acclaimed Canadian music video director and filmmaker Julianne Christian Lutz, also known as Director X. And that eight-episode, one-hour series, uh, again, that comes out this fall. I've been seeing mysterious promos for that. I remember when I saw promo for it and I thought well, I was watching Survivor yeah I think and I started seeing these promos and thought Robin Hood oh that's kind of neat especially that it, it's that global is making it um, and I'll also just tell you here as well that there is a movie or a show called Papa's House starring Damon Wayans and Damon Wayans Jr. So that's cool. That's fun. Father and Son show. Yeah, there yeah. you go. And then, of course, Survivor coming back with its 45th season and other returning hits include Abbott Elementary and Ghosts and then FBI and NCIS as well as LL Cool J joining NCIS Hawaii as a recurring guest star. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.